yeah, over the months, like I just, I was getting better. I was having more energy. I was going longer in between symptoms. Um, when stuff would trigger me, the symptoms wouldn't be as severe. Uh, I'm also like, I'm not trying to go back to the life I had before because I mean, it might've sounded like that when I described what I'm doing right now, but I recognize like, I can't do that. That that's what made me sick. So I'm not even trying to go back to the life I had before. I'm trying to make my life better than what it was before. Um, so, so I'm allowing myself the rest that I need. I'm not trying to push myself harder than I can. Uh, if, if I do have too much on my plate, I just accept there's too much on my plate and I go to bed. Um, if I need a nap during the day, I take a nap. Hi everyone, this is Sarah the Long Haul Yogi and you're listening to the Long Covid Hope Podcast, the podcast that tells the more hopeful stories of people with Long Covid. The Long Covid Hope Podcast is created by a former Long Covid sufferer, myself, for people with Long Covid, allies of people with Long Covid, anyone else who's interested in learning about Long Covid from the true experts, the people with lived experience of the condition. Today I'm speaking with Ariel, who is a consultant who deals with ethical, legal, technical and policy issues around autonomous weapons and artificial intelligence. See, she's a scientist and a very well-read person, and it's a really great uh, conversation where we go all around the houses. <laughs> so Ariel has created a website to help other long haulers and people with chronic health conditions called scienceghost.com, which focuses on teaching about the overactive nervous system and the various mind-body techniques she herself used to gain her health back. Errol caught COVID in July 2020, and after a very mild acute phase, it progressed into long COVID. At her worst, she was bed-bound for months and could only tolerate three different food items. Her long COVID journey had ups and downs. She felt like she was gradually improving to only hit rock bottom again in November 2021. However, her rock bottom, as she calls it, led into discovering the tools that helped her to fully recover her health. We discuss the 10 techniques from her website that helped Ariel recover her health, ranging from Edward Torley, Dr. John Sarno, TMS, meditation, deep relaxation through yoga nidra, um, somatic therapy, and of course, radical rest. We discuss Nicole Sachs' journal speak extensively in this episode, and it's worth pointing out that journal speak is not the same as journaling. Errol says this is a common source of confusion and that journaling never did a thing for her because it doesn't tap into the core repressed issues. And I also really appreciate that Ariel offers many of these concepts for free on her website and she does recommend um, paid for services. It's very low cost, minimal payment options. So she's got great insights into brain retraining the low cost way such as with Alan Gordon through his podcast and book. And I'll put all of these links into the show notes for you. Um, I'll just, before we start the episode, I'll say that Ariel does make some very strong claims for mind-body healing tools, um, which, um, I mean, I definitely, <laughs> as a yoga teacher, I understand where she's coming from, but I know some listeners may find this a little bit extreme. Um, so I just want to end by reading from her website this disclaimer. Ariel writes, I want to be clear that this does not mean my health issues or anyone else's health issues are in our heads. This is 100% a physical issue. Any health issue is very much a case of one's physical body not working right and needing to be fixed. But the process of fixing physical issue might not be a medical treatment and the causes for many physical issues don't seem to be very well understood by modern medicine, end quote. Okay, without further ado, let's get started. Hi Ariel, welcome to the Long Covid Hope podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, it's really great to have you. And um, to start off, would you like to introduce yourself, uh, where you are and what you do? Please. Yeah, so I'm Ariel Khan. I am based in Colorado in the US. 
Um, and uh, I am actually doing I'm doing a couple of things right now. We've just launched um, a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to um, trying to improve policy in governments around the world to better address global catastrophic risks. Um, and then I also work, I'm finishing up work on a project uh, with the IEEE to um, better understand the technical and ethical challenges of autonomous weapon systems. Wow, so pretty, pretty <laughs> deep topics. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Yes, I always like to say that I'm not the person you want to be chatting to at the party. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> All right, but we're here to talk to you about your own uh, COVID, long COVID journey, and yes. also um, your fantastic website that you've developed, um, sightghost.com. Um, but let's rewind all the way back. Um, so what were you doing before you caught COVID, what was your life like? <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I'm definitely one of those people, in case you can't tell by what I just described as what I do, I'm one of those people who has a tendency to have a lot on my plate and to always be pushing hard and, and trying to do more and more. So when I had caught long COVID, um, I, was, I was working as a consultant for a couple of different organizations and I was trying to launch a different nonprofit at the time. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, aside from that, things were actually sort of uneventful because COVID had already come through the pandemic had struck. So we were stuck at home. Um, but yes, I was I was still trying to do more than I should have. <laughs> and yes, stressing out about all of it. <laughs> one busy lady. Um, so remind me, when did you catch COVID then? When was that? So I caught it in July of 2020. Right. Okay. Yeah, right so it's still pretty early on then. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty early on. Um, it was, we'd had, a, we'd actually just moved into our new home. Um, we, we literally closed on the house and moved the week everything shut down for the pandemic in March. So that was, uh, that was an interesting time to move. We got to spend a lot of time doing household projects yeah yeah every every cloud is a silver lining it probably yeah. you know a global <laughs> pandemic and lockdown is probably a great time to do a bit of diy yeah, and yeah good time to, yes yeah it was a great time to repaint the kitchen cabinets <laughs> so in addition to all your entrepreneurial work you were also painting the house <laughs> yeah <laughs> pretty much yes <laughs> and so would you like to describe um your initial um acute covid infection what like what happened yeah, so I actually I started out with a very mild case. Um, I actually was just tired and I spent a few days thinking I had been pushing myself too hard with exercise and that's why I was tired. Um, a couple days I was like, I might actually be sick. Um, and then at, at one point I decided I was sort of tired of that and tried to go for a run. Um, and I made it about a quarter mile out. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't like, it was just really, really awful experience. I went back and, um, and at that point I started getting sick. So I think I was probably a little feverish after the run. Um, I was sick for another few days when I finally got tested, it had been almost two weeks. And so I tested negative. Um, I did get reassurance from my doctor that it was very likely COVID uh, especially given everything after, cause I just, I never got better after that. Um, I kept having these really weird, uh, just symptoms that, that kept coming and going. Um, and again, like after a month of that, I had tried to, um, I, I was behind on work and I tried to push myself for a couple of days for work. And the first day I pushed through, I had a bit of a headache at the end of the day. The second day I woke up and the headache was a bit worse, but I kept pushing through anyway because I had to get this stuff done. Um, and by the end of the third day, I couldn't, I couldn't really function anymore. My brain, it just, it hurts so bad. I've never had a headache that bad. Um, I actually had my first doctor's appointment was the morning of the following day. Um, and by the time I saw her, um, my right eye was starting to swell up a little bit. It was tearing up. 
Um, she told me that if it kept getting worse to go to the ER, they'd run a bunch of tests and nothing, nothing was coming up. But it did get worse. She, she'd even given me medication to try to help and it just kept getting worse. Um, by the time I did go to the ER, my right eye had almost completely swollen shut and it was just completely dripping tears. Like I could not, uh, like it was just, it, it was insane. And it's the worst pain I've ever experienced in my life. It felt like my brain was trying to push through my eye. It was just an insane pain. Um, wow. So I had, I had the ER visit. And then after that, I was, I was basically bedridden for a couple of months. Like there's just, it, my body shut down. Yeah, so. yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah, just to, just to say to anyone listening, please don't push through. <laughs> please don't do no, that. No, that was, that was a big lesson. Don't ever yeah, do that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the amount of people I've spoken to who were made worse by by just trying to just like motor on yep. through and just, you know, yep. ignore the fact that, you know, I've got like 20 different symptoms or whatever. And uh, no. yeah, yeah, don't do that. It is not worth it. Don't no matter what that. anyone says, even, even a little bit of light trying to do stuff. Listen to your body. Yeah. Can I ask about the eye thing? What did they say at the ER that it was? So the ER was really unhelpful. That was one of the, that, that was a crazy experience in itself. Um, so, so my doctor said that that is something that can happen with a viral infection. Um, so that's probably what it was. I don't know. At the ER, they tried to treat me for a migraine. Um, and they tried to give me, it was a heavy, it was like a, a large dose of Benadryl and a medication that's supposed to, um, and it's an anti-nausea medication. And they started the dose and within seconds, my legs started kicking out of control. Um, and like, it was, it was an insane experience. Like I could not stop my legs from just kicking on the bed. Um, and so I was like, you've got to stop this. And so the nurse stopped it and she said, what do you want me to do? I was like, I don't know. I want you to make my legs stop shaking. And she said, well, how do you want me to do that? Do you want me to give you another medication? And I'm like, shouldn't you know this? <laughs> um, <laughs> and then like we had this back and forth where she was like, well, do you want more Benadryl? And I'm like, what's it going to do? Is it going to make my legs stop shaking? She's like, I don't know. And then I was like, this is making me really anxious. I want this to stop. And she was like, oh, this is caused by anxiety. I was like, no, 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 <laughs> you're missing the cause and effect here. <laughs> um, and it was only, uh, it was only a couple days later when I was at my doctor's appointment that um, she said that it had been noted in, in my records and apparently it's a common side effect of the anti-nausea medication. Just no one thought to tell me that. <laughs> but anyway, the ER was useless. It, it didn't help. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. I mean, as much as we, you know, love our healthcare professionals and yeah, obviously 2020 that year, you know, yeah. they were, they're trying, trying to help, but yes, really yes. we're flying blind a bit with, with the novel virus and not really knowing what, what was happening with us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a weird experience, but anyway, I'm, mm -hmm. I recovered from that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what would you say were your um, main uh, long COVID symptoms? What, what were the things that were most challenging? So, so the biggest for me um, was definitely the headache. Um, I did, it never got as bad as that, that first one, but I did have a lot of issues with recurring headaches that were pretty debilitating. Um, the fatigue was awful. The fatigue was insane. Um, it, it, it's one where like I've, run i'm not a like i'm not a fast person but i've run marathons i've done really really major um mountain activities where your legs are just jelly um nothing compares to the fatigue <laughs> like it's just it's on another level i i had our bathroom is right across the hallway from the bedroom and like just going those 15 feet was insane i couldn't for for a little i, I want to say like possibly a month, I couldn't even get downstairs to the kitchen. Like my husband had to bring food and stuff up for me. Like there was just, my muscles just didn't work. Um, and then the other, the other big one that, that eased, it was never like, it was, it didn't stay that bad, but I couldn't do stuff. I was, I was mostly hanging out in bed. Um, and then I had had some food intolerances 
for quite a while and long COVID made it all just so much worse. Um, so I sort of, I would go up and down with being able to eat and then not being able to eat. And like, it would just feel like I had a rash going down my esophagus. Um, all foods were affecting me. Um, by the, by the time I finally figured out what was going on, I was down to about three foods. I think I could eat chicken, rice, and lettuce. Um, I did tons of juice cleanses cause those would help. Uh, I like, I don't know. It was, I, I had, um, I was having issues with electrolytes. So I was regularly having issues with being out of balance uh, or having my electrolytes out of balance. Um, I think those are the biggest ones. I had a lot of tinnitus. Right. <laughs> my ears would ring. Uh, yes. Yes. Brain fog. Oh, brain fog was the other big one. Yeah. I mean, obviously your, your nervous system then between your headaches and the tinnitus and fatigue, like obviously things were not functioning as they should. So say. No, no. My body is doing everything it could to get me to stop. <laughs> and while to, to think that you had three foods you could eat, that's, that's, that's very severe. And yeah, I, yeah, I can't imagine. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I also uh, developed um, sensitivities, intolerances, but um, never to that kind of severity. Um, do you think it was mast cell uh, related or you're not sure? What? Probably. Um, I had had indications of a histamine intolerance prior to long COVID. Um, and at one point, um, so, so one, of the, one of the classic symptoms that I used to get before long COVID, and I actually I didn't have it much during during long COVID was I'd get these um, weird like nose and sinus issues where my nose would just start dripping uncontrollably and it would just do that for like five hours. Um, and then I'd feel really sick for three days afterwards. Um, and and I would I had a tendency to get these like chronic sinus infections. Um, so because I had that history, my doctor put me on a medication that treated um, mast cell activation. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and I was, it helped a lot. I was definitely, I was able to eat a lot more foods while I was on that. It's just, it was, it was at the beginning as a result of the headache. Um, and at some point I went off of it and I don't, I don't really remember why. Um, and I don't know that I had made the connection at the time that that's what was happening. But it was something that treated mast cells and I definitely was was better on it. Right, okay. So. Yeah. Um I'm glad your doctor thought to do that then. That must have helped a lot. Um so so you so initially then you were you were sick in bed, you were unable uh to go up the stairs. Um what did you do? Like what did what happened next? Like did you speak to your your PCP doctor, GP? So yeah, I had I, my doctor was actually really quite lovely. Um, I I got lucky in that like she never questioned anything that was going on. Um, mm -hmm. she told me flat out after I had the 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 hospitalization, well not the hospitalization, but after I went to the emergency room, um, she told me to expect it to take six months to recover. She said long or not long COVID, but COVID just takes a long time to recover and the plan on needing six months to recover. And that was really helpful um, because I stopped putting pressure on myself to try to get better. I was like, well, the doctor said it's gonna take six months, so I'm not gonna try to get over this in a month. I'm gonna give myself the time and all of that. And so that that was really helpful. Um, beyond that, like there wasn't anything they could do. And she, like, she was upfront about that. Um, so, so I actually did get better for about six months and I was, I was just slowly progressing and getting better. Um, and then I started going back to work and trying, like, well, I was working the whole time, but I was, I was pushing myself more because I was starting to feel better. I had hit that six month time frame that she had talked about. Um, and so I started to go downhill again. I started to have more issues. Um, I'm, I'm someone I'm, very pro vaccine, but I did react badly to the vaccines. The vaccines made me worse. Um, and okay. so, so actually, yeah, it was after I, I was having like some sort of ups and downs with, with some pretty significant and disappointing downs, especially related to food. And then I got the vaccine and I just started going downhill again after that. 
So let's pause and talk about that, um, because definitely in this season, I'm speaking to people with vaccine injuries too. And I, I also experienced that. They had long COVID and then the vaccine made mm -hmm. me worse, made other things happen. So so um, what happened immediately after you had the vaccine? Did you, did you what, yeah, what happened? <laughs> yeah, that was, um, I mean, it was mostly, I was, I was, it was just, I was sick and then didn't get better. And then I started having more and more food issues. Like I was having food issues before the vaccine and then it got significantly worse after. Um, and I was, I did start going back to the doctors. Um, my, my normal doctor got me into, um, she got me into one, uh, GI gastroenterologist. I don't know, a GI doctor, um, that was local. And then she also got me an appointment at one of the there was one of the big research hospitals that was really focusing on this um, near me, and she got me an appointment there. But that was that was still quite a few months away. So I went to the first GI doctor, and she was quite nice too. But she basically said, "This is something that we're seeing as a result of vaccines. It's probably going to go away. We don't have anything that we can do that can help." Um, she gave me some probiotics, but those didn't really help. Um, and so, yeah, I was just sort of slowly getting worse and worse. I was, I was like meeting with nutritionists and acupuncturists and like different people to, to try to help all of this stuff and nothing was helping. Um, supplements and medications usually made me worse, not better. Um, I finally got into the fancy GI doctor at um, the fancy hospital and he was quite nice. Uh, I liked him as well. Again, I, I got really lucky with the doctors, at least in terms of never being questioned, never being gaslit. Everyone believed me. Everyone agreed this was happening. It was real. Like it was that I, I got really lucky with. Um, but he wanted to do um, an endoscopy and colonoscopy. And for the colonoscopy, you have to take medication to clean yourself out. And, um, and I took the medication and it did the opposite. It just like shut my internal systems down. Um, I, for like for three hours, I couldn't move. Like I was just on the couch, unable to move. It was just like my, my body literally was just like, nope. Um, and then I was actually backed up for three more days after. Oh no. <laughs> um, so, so we ended up having to cancel that. Uh, and uh, he wasn't going to be able to even talk to me for another month. Like he couldn't address the fact that I'd had a bad reaction to the medication or anything like that. Um, and that was the low point. After that, I learned how to recover. But I don't know if you have more questions about the, <laughs> the illness first. Um, no, I guess not. Um, yeah, obviously, <laughs> you just said you learned how to cover it. So yeah, tell me. Um, okay, so uh, did you have a eureka moment? <laughs> like, how, where, where did this um, learning how to recover came from? <laughs> yeah, so I was part of the long COVID Slack community at the time. Um, this was this would have been at the end of 2021. So um, yeah, so so it would have been. I think it was like around December 2021. Someone on the Slack community. Uh, shared that they had just done a podcast with Nicole Sachs because they had recovered from using her techniques. And I was like, I can listen to podcasts. <laughs> I'm laying in bed and I can do that. So I listened to the stuff and, um, and again, I was like, I don't know if this will work, but at this point it doesn't matter. Nothing else is helping all the, everything the doctors are doing is, is useless. I can, I can journal, like I can lay in bed and do this journaling that she recommends. Um, and I got, I got, this is another instance where I got really lucky. The very first journal session that I did, I just, I, I raged out about how pissed off I was about long COVID. I was just, I, it was a really good opportunity to do that. And that night I didn't necessarily like, I, I just felt like a weight had been lifted. Um, and I didn't necessarily feel better or have a ton of energy, but that night I was able to sit downstairs in the living room with my husband and watch TV for a couple of hours. And that had been the first time that like, it doesn't seem like that big of an activity, but to be out of bed for a couple of hours was actually huge. Um, mm. so that gave me just enough belief, I guess, to keep going and keep trying and, and doing that. 
great. Um, could you explain a little bit about what Nicole Sachs suggests yes. with this journal yes. speak business? Yes, and 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 I'll I'll add there's there's a lot more to what I've done to recover as well. But the the journals her journal speak process was what got, got me started. Mm. Um, essentially, the idea is over for many of us decades. Um, we've been repressing emotional issues for a variety of reasons. And we tend to think of emotional things as being in your head. And they're really not. Emotions are very physical things. And if you don't process them, they don't go away. They just stay in your body. And so you spend decades with all of this stuff building up in your body that isn't being addressed. It is physical and it does mess up your nervous system. Um, and so your nervous system can't function properly because you have all of this stuff in you that you haven't processed. And so journal speak is a means of going through all the different things in your life um, that have triggered some sort of emotional response that you didn't deal with at the time. Uh, and you do a very extreme form of journaling where you allow yourself to have all of the thoughts and emotion reactions that you had repressed. And so these can be I always like to think of it as like a five-year-old throwing a temper tantrum. Like we've all seen the kids screaming at their parents that they hate them and they want to, they wish they were dead and like all these awful things that you don't actually think you don't actually want that to happen, but the thought occurred. And rather than allowing it to occur at some point in your life, you repressed it because you decided it was bad. And journal speak is an opportunity to release all of those and to not, not just have it sitting inside of you. Um, Another thing that happens if you're just letting it sit inside you is by repressing it, you're telling your body that you're scared of it and it contributes to a chronic uh, fear state. Um, mm -hmm. So by repressing it, you're able to release that fear. Very interesting. Um, yeah, it's something that comes up all the time that to me, at least um, that like your brain doesn't know if the threat is real or perceived, right? If it's some like if, if there really is a tiger in across the room, or whether it's something that's a thought in your mind, replaying something that happened or whatever. But your brain and nervous system does not tell the difference, and so this stuff can, yeah, can. I, I think there's like I, I like. I I also think of it as um, I mean in a in a way things could be life-threatening. Like you don't want to piss off the wrong person. That could actually be to you. Like, it, it, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's sometimes you're just sort of guessing whether or not it's safe or not. Like if, if someone's trying to mug you, you don't really want to piss them off if they're, if they're holding you at gunpoint. And if you, I, I don't know, there's, I feel like there's just, I, I think there are, even if they're not life-threatening threats, there's still threats to your way of life. There's, they're threats to who you are now there. I don't know. It's yeah. I, yes, basically. I, I, I agree. I, um, but I also think like, I think there's genuine threats to our livelihood um, that we underestimate and our body, our body knows that those threats exist and like we can, we can still deal with them. We, and we like, I don't know. I, I, I'll, I'll stop talking now. Cause I don't think I'm doing a very good job explaining this. No, no, basically, yes, are. I agree. I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. And I think also, like, I guess, coming back to the topic of long COVID and chronic illnesses, like, there's so many people, probably everybody um, who have had traumatic experiences, whether it was a really intense acute phase where you did feel like you might drop dead and whatever. And then there's medical gaslighting or your family and friends not being supportive. There's so many traumatic aspects of have of being chronically ill as well that can also sit with you and, and you're trying to like expression like shove it under the rug and like ignore ignore but 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 you know your body is feeling that and it cannot be helpful to to, to like getting into a healing state to have all that sitting there so uh, yeah I, I i'm i'm very curious about this and I, I would say to listeners maybe maybe have a look at this website and see about about journal speak so anyway but you did say that um obviously this was maybe the nugget that got you started but what else yeah. did you find that was helpful for your recovery 
Yeah, so so there's a bunch of different techniques and there's sort of I, I've been sort of trying to formalize for myself what I think how how I would describe it. Um I, I like I, I actually took a course with um Dr. Howard Schubiner and he's one of the he's one of the doctors who specializes in this type of recovery. Um and he calls he basically calls this, I believe, neural circuit disorders. Um and I really like that because the, the idea is there's just a bunch of ways in which our brains and nervous systems um, got wired for either threats that never existed or got wired for threats that don't exist anymore. And so your brain, one of the things that I learned that I thought was just absolutely fascinating is our brains are actually more predictive than they are reactive. And that's how you get that sort of fast versus slow responses, your fast responses or your brain predicting how it should respond to uh, what it thinks is happening, as opposed to processing all of the information that's coming in and deciding how to react, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. And so we end up with all of these ways in which we're wired to respond to situations that are happening so fast that we're not aware it's even happening. Um, and so for many of us, that means we were wired with these sort of instinctive responses of fear to a situation, even if logically we understand we don't need that because we had that wiring in place, our bodies are doing that anyway. And so um, there were there were sort of a couple things that I found. There's one, um, there's there's the idea that we're wired to fear our emotions and our emotional responses to things. Um, and so that's how you end up with all these repressed emotions. Um, you You were scared to feel them and express them initially. And so they got repressed. And so you, the, you, you have to figure out how to address both the repressed emotion and also the fear around the repressed emotion. So there's sort of a two pronged uh, aspect to that. And then the other thing is we tend to fear, um, we develop these fears of sensations in our bodies. Uh, and so that can often manifest as pain. It can create other symptoms. Um, and so you have to, this is, this is where a lot of the brain retraining comes in. You have to retrain your brain to not be scared of those symptoms. And then because you have all of this stuff happening, um, you end up in a chronic fight, flight, or freeze state, and often a chronic freeze state. And in those states, your body just doesn't do all the other stuff it's supposed to do. Your digestion isn't working properly. Your immune system isn't working properly. Um, and so you're having all of these other very real physical symptoms that doctors can often measure, um, but the underlying cause is this neural circuitry that just needs to be reset. I don't know. I'm, I've lost track of what the question was, though. <laughs> I was asking about what other things you found that helped with uh, your recovery. Yes. So understanding all of that, um, there's a bunch of different techniques for retraining your brain. Uh, and there's, um, there's journal speak, which is a really good tool for helping you understand your emotions. Um, there's a lot of it is learning to be very kind to yourself and like just very, very, um, accepting of whatever state your body currently is in that it's okay that all of these things are happening, that you don't need to be frustrated with it. Like every time you're you're frustrated or you're scared or you're hating yourself or you're hating something else because of the, the situations and what you want it to be, you're actually contributing to, um, to problems. And I want to be clear there too. That's not just, Oh, you just have to think positively. This is all retraining your neural circuits to respond differently to, um, to these stimulus stimuli. Um, and so, and then also meditations are super, super helpful for being able to tap into sort of your, I don't know, your deeper self, um, because there's, there are components within you that really understand what you need. Um, and when you tap into them, they can relax and then your body can relax. And it's just, um, yeah. And so I created the science at sciencegoes.com. Um, and I talk about a few of the different techniques that I used uh, to do that, to do all this work. Um, I can I can keep going with that, but I, I'll stop for a minute and see if you have. No, keep yeah. going. Yeah, this is. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So so the 
the techniques that I use, there was the journal speak, there's sort of traditional brain retraining. Um, I really loved the work of Alan Gordon, uh, that his, his techniques were what I used to learn to retrain my brain for a lot of symptoms and how I was responding to things. Um, and he has a lot of great free resources on TMS wiki. Um, I learned, I had to learn how to feel and process my emotions. And I, I actually went to a therapist for this because I genuinely had no idea how to feel and process my emotions. They started coming up when I was doing journal speak and it, it I just didn't even understand what, what that phrase meant. What does it mean? Feel and process your emotions. Um, so I, I've put together on the website, I've put together a lot of what I learned about how to do that. Um, but it was, it was very difficult. I did a lot of meditation and deep relaxations. Um, there's a really strong component if you're going to, um, there's a really strong component of belief in this work, which sounds kind of cultish, but it's, it's about, it's just a component of retraining your nervous system to recognize your, that you're safe. In order for your nervous system to, to know it's safe, you have to first believe that you are. Um, and then all those circuits can get rewired and they can function the way they're supposed to. Um, shaking was a really big thing. Uh, we hold the emotions and all of this stuff in our bodies and, and a really important way of releasing that energy is literally letting your body shake. Um, there's a bunch of stuff online about this. I think it was, um, oh, I'm drawing a blank on his name. It was Peter something who first started doing some of that work. It's literally like shaking your body. Yeah, yeah, like you just, yeah, you just let your body, like it's often um, hips and legs, but yeah, you let your body move and shake um, and okay. hang on. It, Peter Levine is the one who did the work. Oh, Peter Levine, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then um, inner child work. And I recently learned about uh, IFS therapy, which is internal family systems therapy, which is a weird name, um, but it's about identifying the different parts within you that um, formed at some point over your life to try to help keep you safe. Um, and now their attempts to keep you safe are actually preventing you from living the life you want. So you have to learn to talk to those different parts. Um, yeah, those are, yes. it, it, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot that like, it's not just a simple, I don't have a magic, do these three things for 30 days and you'll be better. Mm -hmm. um, but, but over but time then, so were you practicing a lot of these techniques daily? Like what did your day look like then <laughs> with doing these things? So a lot of this, yeah. So a lot of this happens, um, a lot of it would happen together. Um, so like I would do a journal speak session that would trigger emotions. I would feel the emotions. I'd have to practice self-compassion because I might be frustrated about something that was coming up. Um, I might need to shake as a result of whatever had just come up. Um, and then a lot of it too was like, as I'd have symptoms arise, I would um, try some of the different techniques. Uh, if, if symptoms hadn't gotten bad yet, I would do um, journal speak and tried it. I, would, I literally talked to my symptoms all the time. And I thought I was crazy, but I've learned since from Dr. Schubiner that this is actually a technique that, that is, it's a real thing. Mm -hmm. um, I talked to my symptoms all the time. If I was starting to get a migraine, I would ask it why. What do I need to know that I, or what do I need to do? What do you need me to know? All of these types of questions. Um, so, so I was, I know a lot of people have a really hard time with journal speak. Um, and for some, whatever reason, I didn't. Um, I just, I, I was very good at being able to differentiate my true self from all the really awful things that just needed to come out. Like, it was just, it was really easy for me to recognize that those weren't me. Um, it was just something that was inside of me. I would do the journal speak, it would go away, and then I could go back to being me. Um, so I would do, I did it twice a day for quite a while. Uh, 
like I just I just wanted all that stuff out of me. Um, and so that was it was good motivation for me. I did before I even found any of this stuff, I had been doing a lot of meditations, um, somatic meditations specifically. Mm-hmm. I found I personally found that things like breathing exercises and meditations where you're focusing on the no, on the breath going in and out of the nose was actually very activating for me and would cause problems. It didn't make me better. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but I did not list breathing exercises in the things I did to recover. I found them very yes. activating and yeah, I mean, obviously with a respiratory or formerly respiratory illness, um, in many ways, it, it, yeah, focusing on the breath can be very triggering. And mm-hmm. I also found that <laughs> and it, it took a while to kind of, yeah, build up to it. Um, but it's interesting that so, so you didn't really focus on any breath work at all, but you, you also didn't really tell me that you had that much um, respiratory no so no for me it wasn't about the respiratory symptoms it was that um the breath work would activate all of this stuff that i had repressed um and so i would just end up with these really powerful surges of energy in my body that i didn't know what to do with and they were very scary and so they would actually trigger more fear than it would calm me down um i have i have since read that that is a common problem for people whose nervous systems are in sort of the chronic freeze state. And and I don't know if maybe part of it is like if you're um, the only the only thing that I actually found helpful was holding my breath. And and that can um, I I, I don't know if there's like, I, I think there is some science to back that up as a technique. But if you're if you're so scared that you're freezing and you're hoping something doesn't see you, you're going to hold your breath. Um, and so it's sort of an acknowledge, like it's sort of, for me, it was a way of fully embracing the freeze state that my body wanted to be in. Mm-hmm. And then once I had gone through like that, I'm frozen, then I could calm down and I could breathe normally. But that was, if I tried to breathe, do a, any other breathing exercise, it would uh, make me feel worse. <laughs> Right. That's fascinating, actually. That really interesting insight. Um, so did, did you feel then over time that, that your um, symptoms were getting less and you were feeling like that you were healing? Yes. Yeah. So um, the other thing that I got really lucky with is I don't know why, but I heard about all of this. Like I so Nicole Sachs learned from Dr. John Sarno. Uh, and as soon as I heard that, I read all of Sarno's books. I'm, I'm the kind of person who also just like, I was reading anything and everything that I could to learn more about these different processes, to learn more about what had, what research had been done into this type of work, um, other people's experiences. Um, and so I, for whatever reason, decided my food issues were absolutely the just i thought it was you know i had at some point gotten it ingrained in me that i couldn't eat the food and that i was actually very safe eating whatever food i wanted and within two weeks i was eating most food and within a month i was eating all food again and that was after a decade of being gluten-free and having an allergy to potatoes and having a histamine intolerance for the last five years like all of that was gone i'm I eat all foods now. <laughs> right. Um, and so that was something else that really helped me believe that all the other symptoms would go away too. Okay. Well, let's hold up because I'm sure a lot of listeners will be like, mm. <laughs> maybe it doesn't jive with them. <laughs> How could you go from, from so changing your, changing your belief systems that, that mm-hmm. had an effect on your body's tolerance to different foods? Like, <laughs> it just seems so- like it. I think, I think there's, yeah, and that's totally fair. Um, I think there's a couple things that happen. So one, if your body is scared, your digestion doesn't work as well. Um, so I think there was a very strong component of that. There is that sort of, if you're in fight or flight, your digestive tract is one of the first things that gets shut down because it just, you don't want your energy going to digestion. If you're trying to fight off the lion, you want to have all your energy going towards fighting off the lion. Um, 
so I think there was an element where, like I said, I was doing this twice a day for, for a couple of months. So for the first couple of weeks, I probably was just, I, I was helping my body recognize that it was in a safer state. And I think that enabled the digestion to work a little bit better. Um, the other thing that I think happened is, um, so I had, uh, I had had endometriosis. This is another one that it is basically gone now. Um, and at one point I had heard about dietary solutions to treating endometriosis. Um, so I changed my diet. Gluten, gluten turned out to be the biggest one. If I had any gluten, I would immediately cramp up. Um, not immediately. I would cramp up 12 hours later. It was like clockwork. Um, and it was, it was really unexpected. Like the, the first couple of times it happened, I hadn't been consciously aware of the fact that I had eaten gluten. I had thought I had cut it out. And then I'd look back and see that like, nope, someone had actually had gluten to a food. And 12 hours later, I was feeling the effects of that. Um, and so, so I cut out gluten and then I started having other health issues. So I started getting the chronic sinus infections and those were deeply connected to food. Um, initially it seemed to be a potato allergy because most gluten-free foods have potato starch and stuff like that in them. Um, and so what I had been told by, I would, I'd gone to an alternative doctor who identified this. Um, I'd been told that my body had gotten overwhelmed by too much potato as a result of going gluten-free and it had developed an intolerance. I should say intolerance, not allergy, a potato intolerance. Um, I developed an intolerance to potatoes as a result. Um, so then I had to cut out potatoes and then, and then I started having like just other foods and that's when it became sort of a histamine intolerance. So I had to cut out all high histamine foods and I would get better each time I did this. Um, but then new things would start to trigger me. Um, and this is, that's a very classic, um, TMS. We haven't touched, I don't know if you've talked about TMS in other episodes. Um, TM, TMS is the term that Dr. John Sarno used. Um, it's like, I, I don't remember. It, it's a technical term. I don't remember exactly what it stands for that was based on an incorrect understanding of what this process is. Um, cause he's, his, he started his work in the eighties and so more has been learned since. Um, but it's now, it's still often referred to as TMS. And so these are very, what I, what I went through where new things were triggering stuff is a very common TMS system because the idea is your body has these underlying issues and you do something that you think is going to make you feel better. And so your body feels a little bit safer and you actually do feel better, but you haven't addressed the underlying issue. And so at some point that's going to crop up again. And so then you do something else that you think is going to make you feel better and because you think it's going to make you feel better, your nervous system calms down for a little bit, but then you haven't addressed the underlying issue still. So it comes up again. And so I think there was a combination of all of that happening with the food. And then also, like I said, your nervous system, um, when it's in fight, flight or freeze, your digestion doesn't work as well. Right. So that's the food theory, my personal food theory. <laughs> okay, really interesting. Um, yeah, definitely something to think about there. Um, so at what point did you feel like you had recovered or nearly recovered? What point in time was that? So I had, um, a, a couple of months in to doing a lot of this work, I basically concluded that long COVID was an extreme form of this neural circuit disorder. Um, and so I no longer thought of it as long COVID and instead started thinking of it as this neural circuit disorder that COVID just, there's so much fear around the illness. There was just so much fear around everything. And then um, I, my guess is a lot of us also just tend to have more fear around the symptoms that we were experiencing that you just have this snowball effect. And so COVID just massively triggered these responses. Um, and I think it's similar to my understanding is that with a lot of chronic fatigue cases, they also start with viruses. So it seems like there's a connection between getting a virus and your nervous system just going into this 
overdrive response. Um, but at some point I concluded that it was the nervous system um, and that it was just an extreme version of many of the other issues that I'd had throughout my life. So I no longer thought of it as long COVID, but I still had symptoms. So, so it, it's hard to say when I like recovered. Um, yeah, it's not something like you wake up one day and it's like, ah, like, it's yeah, like yeah, it's a, it's a it, very gradual process. Yeah, yeah, because it's 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 re you're you're resetting everything, yeah. um, and so yeah, over the months, like, I just I was getting better, I was having more energy, I was going longer in between symptoms. Um, when stuff would trigger me, the symptoms wouldn't be as severe. Uh, I'm also like. I'm not trying to go back to the life I had before because I mean, it might've sounded like that when I described what I'm doing right now, but I recognize like, I can't do that. That That's what made me sick. So I'm not even trying to go back to the life I had before. I'm trying to make my life better than what it was before. Um, so, so I'm allowing myself the rest that I need. I'm not trying to push myself harder than I can. Uh, if if I do have too much on my plate, I just accept there's too much on my plate and I go to bed. Um, if I need a nap during the day, I take a nap. Stuff like that. Yeah, it's about, it's, I mean, having uh, chronic illness, it really makes you reevaluate your priorities and yeah. everything in life. Yes, right? yes. And overworking um, is not my priority. Yeah. And it really makes you see, like you see, you know, what's the expression, wood for the trees and everything. And um, yeah, it just it puts things to, it into perspective, I suppose. And I also can relate to feeling like, okay, I, I have recovered and but I, I've learned a lot of lessons and I'm not going back to, to yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's yeah. another way to, to, to do this thing called life. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. That's so I, I want to, I actually want to touch on that real quick too. Cause one of the things that I've, I, I'm, you know, I mentioned I put together science ghost. I I'm also, I'm going to start a Substack newsletter that we're calling the healing pathways. Um, and I'm hoping some other people who have recovered are also going to be participating in that because it, you know, I can talk about what I did, but what I did worked for me and there's going to be different things that work for other people. Even if there are similarities, it's still like the specific techniques are going to differ from person to person. Um, and one of the reasons this is really important to me is because I, I'm concerned about all the, um, all the emphasis we're putting on the individual to recover. And I think a lot of this is also very societally, it's societally driven. A lot of our fear responses are driven by all of the demands that society is placing on us. Um, and we also, I, I think it's, easy, it's easier to recover if you have sufficient support from you know, your loved ones and from society in general. And I think we really need to change um, our, our understanding of what it means to recover and our acceptance of the fact that none of us are machines. We can't just, you know, keep being productive nonstop. Um, like I, I did have to go to a therapist for help. I have had an incredibly supportive husband. Um, I, I had external influences that helped enable me to recover. And so even though there's all these techniques and I think everyone should be trying to embrace these techniques, um, I think we need sort of a societal shift as well. Yes, here, here. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you have um, talked about um, your website, Science Ghost, and what's on it. There's the um, your 10 healing techniques yes. here and lots of mind-body resources. Uh, so it's scienceghost.com. Actually, why is it called Science Ghost? Well, that's an odd choice of name, <laughs> in my opinion. It is. <laughs> it is. It's, it's very weird. Um, I love the, I like the story. So um, I have a degree in uh, geophysics and I was studying earthquakes and I was studying, um, I was studying earthquakes. It, they're, they're called intraplate earthquakes. And so we tend to think of earthquakes occurring. Like if you, if you know anything about earthquakes, they, they occur at uh, where we have um, tectonic plates coming together. 
Um, and so there's regions that we know of that tend to have more earthquakes. So California tends to have more earthquakes because there's um, a tectonic plate boundary there. But it turns out you can have earthquakes anywhere in the world. Um, and these, these earthquakes that occur elsewhere are called intraplate earthquakes. These are what I studied. And, um, and as I was studying this, uh, I, came to, I came to realize a couple of things. One, uh, most intraplate earthquakes are smaller and they occur in places where people don't think earthquakes are going to happen. And there's a few things that tend to happen with them. Um, because they're smaller, you don't necessarily feel it, but there may be, um, there, there may be um, smaller things that happen, like a picture could fall off the wall. If you have a glass too close to the edge of a counter, it could fall over. Um, animals tend to sense it, so animals might behave weirdly. Um, you may hear weird groaning noises if it's affecting your house in some way, or there may be um, really low frequency sounds coming through that you're not detecting with your ears, but that your body does detect. Um, and low frequency sounds have been associated with um, feelings of paranoia and feelings of being watched. Um, and so I started looking at this and these are also all symptoms of haunted houses. <laughs> Um, right. <laughs> and, and if you look at um, some of the most haunted towns around the world, they actually fall on these places that have um, a higher frequency of these smaller intraplate earthquakes. And so I started wondering if there was a connection between these smaller earthquakes and people having ghostly experiences. And I wanted to I wanted to set up a study at the time there was there was actually an array of uh, seismic stations going across the US so that you could actually record a lot of this much better. And I wanted to try to do a study to see if um, if we were seeing more ghostly occurrences in parallel with uh, earthquake activity. Um, and I I had actually started to have a little bit of luck with this. I was I was I was meeting with um, ghost hunters uh, and stuff like that to try to uh, like they they actually seemed really responsive to the idea of you know if we can find scientific explanations for things we want to do that and not just attribute everything to ghosts. It seemed like a really good opportunity to try to explain science to people as well. Like it just seemed like. Anyway, so I wanted to do all this, but it was also not something that's like a respected scientific pursuit. <laughs> um, and so I ended up getting a job while this was going on, uh, working with a lot of very high profile scientists. And I became scared that if they saw what I was doing with Science Ghost, they would think less of me. Um, and it was just, it's another very classic example of like how things in society trigger this sort of chronic fear. Um, and so I abandoned Science Ghost and, uh, but just always kept the URL. And so when I started doing this, I decided to honor, honor the original fear. Wow. <laughs> okay. That's a great story. <laughs> well, I'm glad you've done it. It's a wonderful resource. I've gone through it and I highly recommend the listeners check it out. So much useful information. Um, so we're about out of time. Um, so would you consider yourself to be fully recovered now? Is that something? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. From like all the other stuff, too. Yeah. Yes. Amazing. That's really, really great. Um, and is there anything you'd like to say to listeners? Any message you'd like to convey? Yeah, like this is so you I, I think I think everyone can recover. If you're having a hard time, um, try to find communities that, that are also doing this because I think it's just it's so helpful to connect with other people who have recovered directly. Um, that is the goal with the you know, I mentioned the, the healing pathways on Substack, which uh, at the time of recording, I'm just starting, so there isn't anything there yet, but there will be when this goes live. Um, there, there are other, there's a lot of resources online for these, these techniques. This isn't in your head either. These are all very real. So. Wonderful. 
Thank you so much. It's really been great to talk to you. And I'm so glad that you're recovered and that you've doing this great stuff. <laughs> Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. This was this was really nice. Thank you for listening to the Long Covid Hope podcast today. We sincerely hope you've enjoyed listening and got something out of it. Please note we are not medical professionals and this does not constitute medical advice. Always speak to your doctor or medical practitioner before starting any new treatments, supplements or beginning a new exercise routine. You can learn about me, Sarah, the long haul yogi, via my Linktree, which is linktree.com forward slash long haul yogi. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at the same long haul yogi handle. I offer weekly yoga for long COVID sessions most Thursdays, which are online via Zoom and are completely open access and donation based. I also have an on-demand yoga series, which you can purchase and tune into at your own time. I'm on YouTube, I'm on Insight Timer, and I do some private classes as well. All of the Yoga for Long COVID series is incredibly gentle and focused on listening to your body and going at your own pace. Again, all of this good stuff can be found at linktree.com forward slash longhauljogi. If you'd like to make a donation in support of this podcast, you can find the link to buy me a chai on Linktree as well. Thank you in advance for any donations. They're gratefully received and really do help me to build on and improve this podcast. Lastly, I wanted to say to you, wherever you are in your long COVID or chronic health journey, know that things can improve. Keep the hope alive. Speak to you next time.